short series I'm calling The Gospel Beginnings, which I'll be doing through mid-July before I go away for a bit. And this is one of my favorite stories. I've always loved this one. Of a double miracle, you might say. Let's ask for God's wisdom as we look into God's words. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. That as we hear the scriptures as your words proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. As I bring the word this morning about a paralyzed man being healed, I have a little bit of advantage because as some of you probably know, I'm married to Katie who has worked in the medical profession dealing with spinal injured patients for her entire career. So she serves as my informal consultant on matters like this because this is about a man who's paralyzed. Now, about five, six, 2016, she actually had a patient at the Shepherd Center, a young man named Devin Gales. He was a college football player. He played for Georgia Southern, and when Georgia Southern was playing at UGA, he was a kickoff returner, and returning a kickoff, he got a massive head injury, and he ended up a paraplegic. UGA took great care of him, and Katie knew him as a patient, 2016 or so. And he became a high school football coach. And I was curious, so I kind of looked up his name as, what is he doing now? Is he still doing that? And look what I found out. This was from an article, I think in an Athens paper, that came last spring. Just a couple of months ago, really. Here, let me read it to you. It says, it was a game against the Georgia Bulldogs that changed everything for Devin Gales almost six years ago. Now in a few months, he'll be back on campus at University of Georgia, not as an opposing football player, but as a University of Georgia student. Gail's mother, Tanisha Deans Gale, shared the happy news on Facebook that her son has been accepted into the university. He'll begin, he will begin classes this fall. She says, today I'm so pleased to announce that Devin Gales has been accepted into the University of Georgia. He will start his classes this fall. Congratulations to Devin and all of his accomplishments. God has a plan for you, son. That's a, that's a delightful story. Here's a young man who went to Georgia Southern, perhaps with some football dreams, perhaps. And God... With one hit, those plans got changed, didn't they? 
and he ended up in a wheelchair. And he will be a paraplegic, meaning he can use his arms, but he can't walk. He'll be a paraplegic for the rest of his life. But he will be able to live a very, very productive life. Doing some job with the use of his hands. The technology that they have for paraplegics is simply amazing. That's just a beautiful story. And the story of this healing that we're looking at today is also beautiful. Because it's the story of Jesus healing essentially an incurable situation with this paralytic. Something utterly humanly impossible. And the main point of the story, as we'll see, is that God does the impossible in healing this man to show that he does a greater impossible thing, and that is to forgive sin. Now, let's look at the story and just enjoy it and kind of get inside it if we can. It's the story of an unnamed man. Jesus, of course, had begun his ministry. He started healing. The word was getting round. And he is called a paralytic. So that would mean that he's either a paraplegic, which means that he can't use his legs, might be able to use his arms or some other parts of his body. Or it's possible that he could be a quadriplegic where he couldn't use his arms either. We don't know. But in that day, either way, it's bad because he couldn't walk. He had to be carried around on a mat by his friends. Now, we don't know why he was this way. But when you think about paras or quads today, you can be born with some condition that brings it about. But typically, usually... It's more often caused by some kind of mishap. And in our day, <laughs> and Katie always tells me she knows too much, and I'll just tell you some of the things that she sees, a lot in motor vehicle accidents, particularly motorcycle accidents. That's one reason um, I will never be allowed to ride a motorcycle, quite frankly. It's bad enough that I ride a bike. She says, be careful, please be careful. Um, a lot of work injury, falling off a roof. She had one where a guy in a dump truck, the whole thing somehow just flipped over on its back. Just bizarre things that can happen. Um, a lot of athletic injuries. I know a pastor who became almost a quadriplegic because he flipped over the handlebars of his bike, mountain biking. Freak accidents. Uh, we know someone who became a quad by just falling in her house, hitting her head against a wall. Oh, here's a big one. Diving accidents. Diving into murky water. 
when you can't see, a lot of that. And in fact, Katie just told us, or told me, you think if you go out into the deep ocean, you would be safe if you're diving? One of her patients dove in and hit a tortoise. And is now a paralytic. Now, that's bizarre. So it typically happens for that. And I'll just say it's amazing what paraplegics and quadriplegics can do today. They have all of these power wheelchairs, all kinds of adaptive equipment. The pastor friend I know who went over the handlebars of his bike, he preached, I heard him preach a sermon from his wheelchair. He could probably serve a church as a wheelchair, as a pastor. A quadriplegic can actually drive a power van with a, with a mouth stick. Got to be really trained to do that. Some of them do. It's amazing what they can do. There is a very well-known Christian quadriplegic. Her name is Johnny Erickson Tata, who 55 years ago dove into the Chesapeake Bay, hit her head. And for 55 years, she has had a ministry to the disabled. It's, Katie told me it's very unusual for a quadriplegic to live 55 years. That in itself is kind of a minor miracle. So you can see what, it's, what it is like to be a paraplytic. But, but the main thing that I want you to see, in spite of all of the massive things that they can do, if your spinal cord gets severed, it doesn't regenerate. It is not curable. You're going to be that way for the rest of your life. And so, just put yourself in the position of this man in the story who became paralyzed. There were no power wheelchairs or mouth sticks or computers. He had a major disability that left him unable to work. And he was pretty much at the mercy of others to help him get around. And I just got to thinking, it's one thing to have a major physical disability, but how would you be feeling emotionally? You know, Katie recently was with a group of teenagers who were spinal injured. Oh, and by the way, a lot of spinal injury patients tend to be young because young people tend to do the kind of behavior that ends up in spinal injury accidents anyway, uh, you know, uh, athletic injuries and whatnot. How would you feel if you were a 14-year-old? You had dreams to do this in your life. You hit your head on the bottom of the swimming pool. There goes that high school football career or that gymnastics activity. Life goes a very different direction, doesn't it? Well, for this man, there was little hope 
that anything would ever change. He would lay on a mat at the mercy of others. Totally helpless. want to set that to just see this is a fairly desperate kind of situation. So let's look at the story is that Jesus teaching in a house and some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. He has four committed friends who would carry him around. So they come to the front door, try to get in because they had heard Jesus can heal. But it was so crowded, they just couldn't even push the door open. Remember, they're desperate. So when they couldn't find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. You know, roofs in that day were, were tiled. You could put them on and off. So they go up on the roof to let him down. In the middle of the crowd. Now, I got to thinking about it from kind of a mental and physical point of view. That's a bit insane, isn't it? Because I'm thinking, here's a, quad, here's a man on a mat. How did they get him up on a roof? Did they have a ladder, a scaffolding? And then I'm thinking, and there's a, there's a classic picture of that. They're... They're letting him down on ropes, and I'm thinking, what if the rope breaks? What if they drop him? So just from a medical point of view, it's kind of crazy. But if I would do that because Jesus is the only one who can help us. So they lower him, and, and, you know, the crowd spreads, and people are wondering, well, what's this? We've never seen this before. The elevator comes down, the paralyzed man. And what are they hoping Jesus will say and do? Friend, get up and walk. Is that what he said at first? No. He says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Wait a minute. We came to the doctor. We came to the healer for a healing miracle. We didn't ask for this. But he says, friend, friend, your sins are forgiven. When you go to the doctor, I mean, he might give you some good advice, but you want physical advice, don't you? Friend, your sins are forgiven, which wasn't quite what they were expecting. But that's grand enough. And so there's Pharisees there, teachers of the law, religious leaders. And they give the answer that we've kind of come to respect, expect 
from what we know about them. Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Wow, wow, wow. More whining, grumbling, and complaining, which is typically what they did. And anything Jesus did. Because Jesus, the Christ, makes this amazing declaration, your sins are forgiven. And instead of them thinking, whoa, wait a minute. Hmm. This is interesting. Maybe we should pay attention. They grumble. And they say, this is blasphemy. Now, that's a strong word that we don't use very often. That's very strong. Blasphemy essentially is kind of assaulting the character of God, right? So, for instance, I would blaspheme God if I declare what only he can do. Let me know if you think this is a blasphemous statement. If I, Bruce McRae, say, people of Christ, Presbyterian Church, I rule the world with sovereign power. Can you go with that? No. That's blasphemy because I'm not God. What if I said to you during the communion time, I forgive your sins. I, Bruce McRae, give you absolution. Can you go with that? No. That would be blasphemy. At the Lord's table, what do I say every week? I bring you the word, God has forgiven your sins. And I, as his servant, bring that message, but they rightly understand it would be blasphemous for a human being, for someone other than God, to declare that someone's sins are forgiven. Because remember, they knew what forgiveness was, didn't they? They had the temple, the sacrifices, the Day of Atonement, where once a year the high priest would go in and by the blood of a goat, one would be shed, symbolizing sacrifices needed, another would be sent off into the desert. And it was through that that they understood We are in need of the forgiveness of sins. We must and can only be forgiven because of the sacrifice of someone else. Far more worthy than us. So this was something of a bombshell when Jesus the healer makes early on in his ministry, friend, your sins are forgiven. To which they grumbled. And then he asked them a very thought-provoking question. He knew what they were thinking. And he asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say Your sins are forgiven, 
or to say, get up and walk. Okay, think about it. Middle of a worship service, someone wheels in a quadriplegic. Puts them right there. Which is easier for me to say to that quadriplegic? A, get up and walk, my friend. Or B, I declare on the basis of my goodness, your sins are forgiven. Which one's easier for me to do? Neither. I can't do either. They are both impossible. I can't heal your sickness. I can't forgive your sins. They are both equally impossible for me. You want to know why? I'm not God. And then he goes on. But I want you to know that the Son of Man, a messianic title, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on, and went home, praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. In other words, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of Man, which is a messianic title taken out of the Old Testament. I can, in fact, do two impossible things. I can heal a paralytic. And I can forgive sins. And so the fact that he can cause a man with the most incurable of all physical ailments to walk shows I can do something far greater. I and I alone forgive your sins. Because remember, we don't know how this man became a paralytic, but we ultimately know the reason why, right? It's because of the curse of sin that has ruined every part of life. Why is it that a, that a young woman we know just trip, hit her health? hit her head against the wall in her home, and will be paralyzed the rest of her life. Why? It just seems so unfair, doesn't it? But we live in a world that has been ruined. And remember how the Pharisees viewed physical ailments. Do you remember that? If you had some physical ailment, it is because... You had done something to deserve it. 
fact, remember the story of in John 9, there was a man born blind. That some congenital eye defect, he was born blind. Do you remember what they said? Who sinned? This man or his parents? I mean, we know, they said, bad things always happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people like us because we deserve it. Most physical ailments, you don't choose to do. You know, when I was born, I didn't choose to be mortal. I didn't choose to get old and die. I don't really like that. (laughs) But that's what goes all the way back to Genesis 3, the fall of humankind that ruined everything. And so we kind of have a dual problem. We're alienated from God, but also we're mortal. And our bodies eventually decay and die. Now, I have nothing to complain about in terms of my own physical issues. I've been very blessed. But I'm mortal. And you see, this is what the gospel brings. It brings forgiveness now through the work of Jesus. But it also brings, ultimately, restoration of our body. When Christ comes again, establishes a new heaven and an earth, when we will live forever in physical bodies as glorified human uh, believers. Because this paralyzed man, and praise God for this, this is amazing. I mean, we don't know how old he was, but probably for the rest of his life he would be able to walk. But at some point he would die, yes? And so this is a celebration of the restoring gospel that we believe. The forgiveness. And you know, it's, it's easy to just poke at the Pharisees because this is an amazing... Isn't this what the Israelites were looking for? The Messiah who would forgive their sins? He declares your sins are forgiven and they just complain about it. Because we would rather work for it. But we love the once and for all forgiveness of Christ. Because the religious leaders again and again and again went to the temple. Offered the blood of bulls and goats for sins. Offered the lambs year after year after year. Which could never take away sin. But Paul declared in Romans 4 that this forgiveness comes to the one who doesn't work. Here's a helpful way to think about it. I hope you never become a paraplegic or a quadriplegic, but imagine if you were, how utterly helpless you would be. 
you and I are as helpless to earn our way to God as it is for a paralyzed person to get up and walk. Did you hear that? That's the point. We are as incapable of earning our way to forgiveness as a man or woman with a severed spinal cord can regenerate it themselves and walk. Impossible. So that's why I just love these verses. I read them a lot. To the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trust God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of, of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord, the Lord will never count against him. And so I today... Do not forgive your sins, but I simply bring God's verdict that if you're in Christ, friends, your sins are forgiven. Because of the work of Jesus and not yours, get up and walk. Serve the Lord for as long as you have with all the strength he gives in these mortal bodies. And minds that we have. And continue. To listen. In God's word. At the Lord's table. Through friends who love you. In your darkest hours. Hear the word of the gospel. Again. And again. And again. Friend, your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk. Amen.